Hey friends, you're listening to Project Me, the podcast. I'm your host, Destiny O'Rourke, college and career coach for Bowling Green High School, where I strive to provide firsthand college and career experiences for you, my students, so that you can be better informed of your post-secondary options and ultimately live a high quality of life. I am so excited, you guys, to be joined by Dr. Allison Martin, who is a surgical oncology fellow at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Woo-wee! Welcome to the show! (laughs) Thank you, Destiny. I appreciate that lovely introduction, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, we will jump right on in. Will you start by telling us a little bit about what you do and describe your daily tasks? Yes. So as you mentioned um, in the intro, I am a surgical oncology fellow um, uh, down here in Houston at MD Anderson. Um, Before that, um, I was a general uh, surgery resident at the University of Virginia, which is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, So it takes a long time to get to where I I am just by nature of how much uh, school you have to do. So it's four years of undergraduate Um, four years of medical school, um, and then residency, and now fellowship to be a specialist. Um, So my day um, depends on what's happening, um, but either I'm seeing patients in clinic, um, and these are patients um, who have not had surgery yet. These are patients who are um, being seen after their surgeries to see how they're doing um, and to look for, you know, cancer coming back and make sure they're doing okay. Um, I also have to round on patients every day, um, and rounding means you see patients who are already admitted to the hospital. Most of them have already had surgery, um, and then hopefully most of the days I'm operating on patients. Um, and I also do research, um, and in my um, situation, there's lots of different types of research that people can do. A lot of folks probably picture folks that are pipetting and doing crazy, but I'm a public health um, person. So I do a lot of what we call outcomes research. So I look for ways that we can use data, um, either data data that's already been collected or data that's um, collected what we call prospectively um, to help improve quality of care um, that we provide for our patients and help our patients achieve better outcomes after they have surgery. Oh my goodness, that is amazing. And um, how in the world did you decide to get into this field? I had um, some very good influences growing up. So my grandmother, uh, Dorothy, um, who's still alive um, and very well, she is um, my dad's mom. And she was a volunteer at the um, um, Muhlenberg Community Hospital um, in Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, where I'm from. Um, and she was a teacher before that, but when she retired, she started volunteering at the hospital. Um, and she actually was a greeter um, for patients who were having surgery. And so she'd update their families and let them know um, what was happening um, in the operating room and reassure them and, you know, you know, make coffee and things like that. So when I was little, I would go and sit next to her and, and you know, hang out um, while she was doing that. And then when I got older, I became what um, used to be at least known as a candy striper. I don't know if they call it that anymore, but I would volunteer at the hospital and I was um, uh, a volunteer for the supply room. I would get supplies and deliver them to the floors uh, of the hospital, which was super fun. And so that was my first exposure to medicine. And then I liked science and math and had a lot of great exposure in, in high school. And I just ended up wanting to do that as a career. You talked about some education and training already. 
but will you talk a little bit more about your path and what you do to continue learning? Yes. Yeah, so like I said, you have to do um, four years of undergraduate um, and complete all the prerequisites um, to get into medical school. So that looks a little bit different uh, depending on where you um, end up going to college. I, you can be a major in anything and go to med school. I always try to remind um, students of that. You don't have to major in chemistry or biology or be quote unquote pre-med. Some people have a pre-med major depending on where you go. Um, I happen to be um, a chemistry and psychology double major. I was influenced by my sister who was at the time pursuing um, her path to being a school psychologist. And I was like, psychology sounds interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll add that on too. And I had some prerequisites from high school that made me have some extra credit. So I had space to do that um, at the University of Louisville. So I did chemistry. I did psychology. Honestly, it was great background for what I do now. Um, a lot of the concepts that you learned as a learn as a psychology major really apply and I think give me sort of better insight into my patients and what they're going through because it's not just about the you know, their, their health care or doing the right kind of surgery on them. It has a lot to do with what patients experience emotionally and psychologically and knowing about that and helping them deal with those issues, I think it helped them have better outcomes. Um, so after Louisville, I went to Vanderbilt um, for medical school. Um, I was, I just want to point out that there are great medical schools um, in the state of Kentucky. Um, and it's, um, and I would have been lucky to go to any of those as well. Um, but I um, had a bit of a dream to go to Vanderbilt. Um, my sister had been taken care of there when she was younger um, for um, a condition that she dealt with. And I had always been my dream to go there. So I was really pleased to have that happen. Um, and once again, in terms of, you asked me about what do I do to stay fresh? Gosh, you know, you'd think that once a person gets into their job that, you know, you could, you could rest a little bit and maybe stop all the studying, but I study and read and I am always learning new things because as it turns out um, in most careers and healthcare is certainly not excluded from that, you are always trying to learn um, the next thing, the new thing, and you're hopefully contributing to those next and new things as well. That's the exciting part. So I'm always reading and studying. So you definitely can't go into medicine and think, oh, I can become a doctor and then I can just relax. You have to stay on top of everything that's new to help your patients. So. And I'm sure things are changing constantly in the medical field. All the time, you know, and COVID, and the COVID pandemic has actually been a perfect example of that because the, the way that data has been quickly processed and turned into publications so that it can be shared across the world is, you know, it shows this like insane momentum that, you know, medicine and healthcare can have, particularly when it's put under um, pressure as it has been during the pandemic. And similarly with the way the vaccine has been developed, all of us in healthcare understand that there's been years of, of vaccine research and technology that set our um, amazing scientists up to rapidly develop this COVID vaccine. And so it's just one really cool example of how quickly, um, but yet effectively and safely medicine can move things forward. What do you love about your career? <laughs> um, I, th by far the best thing about my career um, is uh, the, having the privilege of getting to take care of my patients. It's the most amazing and best part of my day. And I am, I honestly, I am, I am shocked by how much trust patients put into 
um, us to take care of them. And yet I'm also not surprised at all. It's really, it's really crazy, but I do consider it a privilege um, that they, they put that kind of, 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 of faith in us to, to guide them, you know, through their, their journey and whatever illness they are having to contend with. I mean, patients are very scared. They're very anxious and we deal with them when they are at their most vulnerable, when they, you know, are at, at, they're, they're worried about themselves, they're worried about, you know, how having cancer, for example, will impact their families, their jobs, their futures. And, you know, we have the honor and privilege to walk them through that process. Um, and, you know, I also get to teach and work with medical students and residents. And I learned pretty early on that I love teaching. And it's one of the nicest parts of my job and most fulfilling parts of my job when people that I have worked with and mentored, you know, end up doing something amazing with their own lives in terms of their career. So I think it's the best job in the world, hands down, and I'm not at all biased. <laughs> I will say we um, just personally had to go through cancer. Um, my husband found out a couple of years ago that he had cancer and, and when we you hear that word there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it and um and you're right i mean we trusted every single thing our doctor told us and we were so thankful to have that reassurance so gosh i can't thank you enough for what you do and just medical folks in general well that's well a i'm sorry that you and your family had to go through that and b i hope he is doing well um, and see, you know, it tells you um, how much that I always say place matters. And I always, you know, hope that we can continue improving how health care is delivered because we want everybody to be near doctors and nurses who can provide them with top-notch health care. So that's why we have to keep making improvements in the system that give everybody equal access to good health care, regardless of, you know, how much money they make or any of those other kinds of factors that really shouldn't matter, but that actually do matter. So I'm just glad that you were able to, your family was able to have access to good health care and good people. We have a follow-up this afternoon. So yes, thank you so much. <laughs> What are some challenges you face in your career and what are some challenges faced by your industry? Yeah, so I think I've, I've touched on that um, a little bit and happy to expand on it now. Um, you know, like I had said before, it is an emotional job. Um, I mean, you could try to take the emotion out of it and just focus on the facts and the diagnosis and, you know, the treatment. But I think that would make um, the job and a lot less meaningful. And I think once again, that patients do better if you interact with them from an emotional standpoint. So, you know, I have a lot of empathy for my patients, um, particularly when they've received a cancer diagnosis. And so, uh, you know, that is that can be emotionally tough for me. I'm a person that feels things very deeply. And so I've had to, you know, really figure out how to deal with that in my own life and figure out ways to, to sometimes leave those emotions, you know, at, at work and look for ways to get out my excess energy through, you know, working out and spending time with my family and walking my dog and I meditate and I <laughs> do all kinds of things to try to, you know, take care of myself because I, um, I think that a lot of us really, uh, forget that if we don't take care of ourselves, then it's really hard for us to take care of other people. So anytime I can advise, you know, a young person to, you know, uh, start understanding what self-care is and, and really investing in making themselves better and more well and more healthy, uh, I always take that opportunity just because it's so essential to me personally being able to be successful 
um, in my own career and, and in my own personal life. So. What skills does someone need in order to be successful in your career? <laughs> a lot of different skills. I mean, every job is like that. You could probably talk all day about what skills it would take to be a good firefighter or, you know, EMT or, and, but like for surgery, um, I definitely, you know, I talked a lot about how, you know, things change very rapidly in medicine. So being adaptable um, is one of the biggest ones. You, you can't get stuck um, in the past and be un unwilling to accept that, you know, there are better ways to provide care to patients. So being adaptable is one. Um, I think leadership is very important. I think, um, and leadership and, and, and being a, a team player um, and a, a, a person that's work, works well um, in teams of diverse individuals, because it definitely takes a village to get a patient through um, a, difficult time, a difficult time in their life, um, such as dealing with a, a new diagnosis or illness. Um, and you have to be able to work with a lot of different people to make that a successful um, journey for your patient. Um, and I think that patience and compassion uh, for what your patients are going through is very important. And patience is one, you know, I, I'm, I don't claim to be perfect and I definitely don't uh, claim to be the most patient person. So that's one that I, um, I'm always having to work on because I would prefer that everything happen in immediately. But unfortunately, that is just uh, not possible. So I have to work on that one myself all the time. You talked a little bit about this before, but you stay busy learning and working and growing. And so how will you talk more about how you balance your career and your life? Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of people have started saying work life integration <laughs> instead of work life balance. I don't know what the right phrase is and I don't think it really matters, but I do think it's important to figure out like when the clock you know, when you, when you time out, for example, and make sure that you have de dedicated time for your family, um, and for myself, for my family, and for my partner, um, because otherwise they won't, you know, under, they won't, they, they won't understand that you do love them, and that you're not just work obsessed. I am very dedicated to my career, so I've had to actively, um, you know, make this a part of my life and there are times when I'm very good at it when I'm like there's no way I'm going to work tonight you know this is our time you know schedule this in advance and and there are other times where I get a little carried away with what's going on at work um, I think in my situation the the good news is that, is that I've picked a partner who also understands um, being very passionate and dedicated to my career, kind of like you are, you know, Dustin, you're so passionate and dedicated to your career. And I wanted a partner that was like that too. And so that's, that's part of one of the things about him that appealed to me. Um, and so he understands um, when there are certain times when I have to put a little bit more focus on work and just like I understand when he has to do that. And so that's nice. And once again, trying to cook healthy meals and, and, and try to get, you know, a good walk in with my dog or a good workout in and scheduling those things in advance really helps me a lot. Um, so planning is key to making, you know, different parts of your life work well with one another, I think. All right, so this next question is something that we all deal with at some point in time. Um, how do you overcome self-doubt? <laughs> self-doubt, what's that? Just kidding, I doubt myself all the time. 
Um, so, you know, everybody has an inner voice and, ooh, you have a lot um, of influence over that inner voice. And I think recognizing that is key to guiding what you, the, the message that you, you know, tell yourself. So sometimes my inner voice can go a little negative. Um, you know, I'm, I'm human. And so when that starts happening, my, my practice has been to um, try to uh, alter what that inner voice is saying. And so one of the tricks, I forget who taught me this, was to imagine what you might say to your friend who was having, you know, similar self-doubts. And what would you say to that friend? would it be the negative thing that you've been telling yourself or would it be something positive encouraging and encouraging because that's a person who you love and care about? Um, I, it would be the positive and encouraging thing. So I try to say that to myself instead. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense because you love yourself or you should love yourself. You should work towards loving yourself. And you would never say some of the nasty things that we imagine inside of our heads about somebody that you loved. So Love yourself by trying to turn your inner voice from negative to positive whenever possible. And once again, sometimes I'm better at that than others. Gosh, that is dang good advice, you guys. Wow. What do you wish you had known about your career and or life in general when you were in high school? Um, that's that. This is a fun question because I don't. I don't know how much I'm different than I was when I was in high school. I always kind of had a perfectionist um, tendencies, um, which, you know, can be slightly unhealthy at times. <laughs> so I would tell my high school self that, you know, success does not come from perfection. Like you are allowed to make mistakes. Success comes from hard work and perseverance. So you don't have to be flawless, but you do have to be tough and resilient. And I think that advice um, has taken me far and, and not being so hard on myself um, to be perfect because there's no such thing as perfect. What is the sincere hope you have for high school students? So you'll, you won't be shocked to hear what I have to say because it's probably in line with all of the messages I've been uh, broadcasting throughout this time we've had together. But my sincerest hope is that high school students um, learn to believe in their own potential um, and shut out any voices of negativity, whether they come from somebody else or from, you know, themselves. Um, and just understand that it's really hard work that can lead them down a path to success. Um, you know, you don't have to be a math genius. You don't have to be a science whiz. You can still be successful on your own journey. Um, and then once again, that it's okay to ask for help and people want to help you, people that have, are doing the things that you want to do with your life, they want to help you. They are thrilled when you reach out to them and ask for help. So don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, I think we've all been told this lie that we have to do everything on our own. And so I think it's really wise, the words you just spoke to the students and, um, and that's a perfect segue actually into the last little bit here, which is you have so generously offered yourself uh, to, for, for students to be able to connect with. So would you be willing to talk about how they can connect with you directly? Yes, um, students are welcome to connect with me and I can give you my contact information, which I, I assume you can leave in the show notes or something. Okay, perfect. Um, um, students can contact me uh, via email. 
Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter where I am Global Surge Alley, Global Surge, so G-L-O-B-A-L-S-U-R-G-A-L-L-I-E. <laughs> so you can follow my, my Twitter if you're interested in my mostly science tweets, <laughs> medicine tweets, <laughs> which you may not be. But certainly if you have questions about what I do or about careers that are related to mine, you're welcome to reach out to me by email. I'm thrilled to talk to anybody who wants to do, you know, a, a career in medicine. Gosh, this has been such an awesome conversation. I am so pumped that you were able to make time for us. Um, I do have a lightning round of five questions if you are open to that. Yeah, let's do it. Woo, woo, woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number one. What high school did you go to and what was its mascot? I went to Muhlenberg South High School in Greenville, Kentucky, and the mascot is the Sundrop, or was the Sundrop because the school's integrated, so it doesn't really exist anymore. So, <laughs> the Sundrop, so cute. Question number two What was your first ever job? Technically, I think technically my first ever job was as a summer school like peer mentor for summer school in the county. I was like an ele for the elementary school in the summers. I would help work uh, with the elementary school kids in summer school and help, like I was a classroom maid essentially. That was my, my first real, real, real job was working at Rural King though in Powderly, Kentucky <laughs> as a cashier. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great first job. I used to eat all the candy that we sold in between selling farm supplies to people in the county. Awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. Question number three, when you got your first big kid job, how did you spend your first paycheck? Well, as, as glamorous as, as medicine might seem to people who aren't doing it, my first paycheck was pretty, <laughs> I think it went to like my student loan payment. <laughs> what what in the heck I'm pretty sure maybe I went out to eat I was pretty excited to get my first real check that's for sure maybe I went somewhere nice to eat I don't remember but once again it probably went to really boring practical stuff <laughs> okay question number four what is the most random or offbeat class training experience or job that you've had or heard of the most offbeat class that I took was an undergraduate, um, and it was um, bad science and movies. And so we literally just watched like movies, like probably movies that your students have never even heard of, Ugh, like The Fly. And there was one, there's one movie that's like essentially like a real movie that is sort of like um, the magic, do, they, do you know what Magic School Bus is? I hope people know what Magic School Bus is, but I love Magic School Bus. And there's, <laughs> there's an episode where they do a journey and they go into their teacher, they, they, they shrink and they go into their teacher's body. There's like a real movie that kind of does something similar to that. And we essentially would just like critique how bad the science was and these different movies and how basically the storylines didn't really make sense if you followed real science, which maybe students should watch some of the, I don't know what level, maybe they can watch Contagion and some of the virus movies, because some of those are actually pretty good. Um, those are Outbreak, Outbreak's a great one. So I thought those are my, those are my pandemic related, fairly good science movies. There's some bad science in those too, but most of it's pretty good. So those are great. I love that class. It was ridiculous. So cool. Okay, 
Question number five, our final question. What educator made the most significant impact on your life and how are you paying it forward? Hmm. That's a really good one. Oh, that's hard. I had so many good teachers in high school. Why, well, maybe I should say my mom. <laughs> Actually, you know, that is a very good point. Of all the wonderful teachers I had in high school, um, particularly in my AP classes who really believed in me and encouraged me to go forth with, you know, my pre-med, you know, classes and pursuing becoming a doctor. My mom was my eighth, my eighth grade, was she my eighth grade teacher? My brain is farting out. But yeah, my mom was my eighth grade homeroom teacher um, at Muhlenberg South Middle School. And I think that, you know, how could you possibly uh, not say your mom, who was also your teacher, was the most influential educator, but, you know, I, I got very, I was very lucky in the sense that my parents always believed in me um, pretty unconditionally, and yet they never, ever pushed me towards anything specific. They just wanted me to go to college. Like, it was just like, just go, and we don't, they didn't really care what I did. Um, they just wanted me to, you know, be happy and pursue something that I was very interested in. And my mom was always like that, and she always really believed in me and encouraged me. But she, you know what, she really encouraged me writing was the most. And I'm most grateful for that because, um, as crazy as it sounds, I use writing skills every single day. They mean so much to my, my life and career, I write, and I write for fun still which is nuts. So I, I really lean a lot towards what your teachers will call prose. Um, I do that a lot. I have to, I also have to do scientific writing, but my mom encouraged me to write from the very beginning and encouraged me that I was a good writer. So I kept doing it. And I am, I will always be grateful for that. It's a huge part of like who I am as a person and as a, as a doctor. So I love that question. <laughs> How cool. I, I just, I could talk to you for hours on end. Um, I, I'm telling you, what, I just, I just love every bit of it. Um, but I really, I just cannot thank you enough for this conversation, for our time together today, for your willingness to pour wisdom back out into the community and to our students. Um, it is just a, always such a pleasure. Same. I am so pleased that you asked me and I really appreciate it. And I, I can't wait to listen to more episodes of your podcast and hopefully hear from some of your awesome students. Oh, sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget to check out the show notes where you can read a bio and perhaps see a picture of today's guest. This podcast is designed to connect so if you're looking to interview our guest on your own or see if they offer job shadowing opportunities, you'll find that information in the show notes as well. Don't ever be shy about connecting friends. Remember, you are building your future. We're just here to help. <laughs>